0: The letter to the Colossians was written by Paul as a letter to give them hope and to help them discern the true spiritual life. This church was struggling. They were confused by false teachings, and so Paul wanted to lift them up and to thank them for their everlasting faith. So let us listen now as Betsy gives us the scripture. The scripture comes from Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with the strength that comes from His glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word.
1: Well, let's test this microphone, make sure you can hear me. You got it? Okay, good. How many of you are children of God? Come on, don't be shy. That's good. So there is a children's time. <laughs> I'm not going <gonna, laughs> to waste this perfectly good children's time I prepared, <laughs> just because the children are a little advanced in education and otherwise. I brought this picture. Uh, it was given to me by, I think it was Vancouver First United Methodist Church years ago. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus and some children gathered on his lap. I really, really do like the artist's work, but I took some different sizes and different colored post-it notes and put around the picture and asked children, um, are all the post-it notes the same? No, they're not. Some are bigger, some are smaller, some are pink, some are blue, some are yellow. Uh, And I just was reminding them, especially on Human Relations Sunday, that God doesn't look to see what color or what size we are or where we are in our social standing. God wants to make sure, and God knows, we're all made of the same material. God looks upon us across the world, different cultures, different people, as uh, and God looks upon the heart, I guess. And that's where we are, brothers and sisters, as children of God, with people around the world. It's a great message on this uh, Human Relations Day Sunday and on the weekend that we remember the birthday of Martin Luther King, Jr. and all the work that he did and that there is still to do, that there is still to do for us as human beings with one another, sisters and brothers across the country. That's what I would have told the children if they'd have been here, which you are. So. All right, uh, my name's John Brewer, I retired last year, so this sermon could run a long time, I've got a lot to say. Um, no, I promise you that will be done for those of uh, you who might want to get home in time to watch. Uh, who, who's playing? <laughs> the Seahawks, of course. Um, I've been a United Methodist pastor for about 43 years and um, it's been a great experience. I served four years as a United States Army Chaplain. I have served in uh, small local churches and medium local churches and good, strong, healthy local churches as well. I was a district superintendent uh, for eight years and uh, I concluded that six is plenty. Um, (laughs) A district superintendent helps the bishop in administrating the Methodist churches around the Pacific Northwest. I thank God for the ministry uh, to which I was called as a young man. um, Called to the ministry to preach the word of God. And it's always been my greatest desire to um, tell the people about Jesus. Love the people. Have a good time. Have fun. That is my prescription for good, effective ministry as a pastor or as a lay person as well. Tell one another about Jesus. You really have nothing else to offer the world. They've got enough soccer clubs. They've got enough other kinds of organizations that are all wonderful experiences for the world, but they don't have Jesus Christ, who is a life-changing spiritual presence in our lives today. You have been transferred from the domain the dominion, the dominance of darkness in your life, into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what Paul wrote to those Christians. Uh, We call them the Colossians. Earlier in that text, Paul stated to those Christians, hang in there, he said. I know it's difficult. I know you're feeling a little discouraged about being in the church. Jesus hasn't come back quite yet like we thought he would be right back. But hang in there. I'm praying for you, he says. And I'm praying that you will come to know what the will of God is for you. Go back and read the text. I want you to know what the will of God is for you. Now that's my prayer for you as a church today, that as a congregation, you will work, pray, pray, Put forth effort to try to understand what God's will is for you as a church so that you are in tune with God's will as a congregation. It's not only true for the congregation, but true for us as individuals as well. What does God want you to do in the life of the church? In addition to singing, in addition to lay ministry, in addition to music, what is God calling you to do in ministry? I'm going to tell you a little story in a minute. I always like to begin with uh, these words from Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So that this time is not wasted to pay attention. Aldersgate is a wonderful United Methodist Church. I just retired after eight years in Issaquah. I've known Brad a long time. Uh, Brad is a colleague of mine. In fact, he was in seminary when I was a district superintendent and I visited him while he was still finishing his school. I'm way older than Brad. He's a young man, he's a young man. And I know you're gonna uh, be glad to see him back in February. I understand he'll be back. and There's a certain dynamic that happens in a church when the shepherd is away and you get these visiting uh, people. Uh, Who is that person? Who were they the last couple weeks? I hope to leave you with something today that, that will give you uh, reason to think about being the church, Aldersgate. You've got a great history here. Some of the pastors you've had, uh, David Tinney and Roddy Rowe and some of those in the past. And even Brad Beeman now. You've got a great history that goes back, I understand, to the 1950s. 1952? 62? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's quite a ways back and uh, a great history. But I don't want to talk to you about your history. I want to talk to you about your future and whether or not you have one. Will this church still be here in five years? Will you all be worshiping somewhere else in 10 years or 15 years? Let's talk about the future. I I want to begin by telling you about the church that my wife and I and our young children attended when Uh, I was in seminary in graduate school a a long time ago. It was a church in Glendale, California, North Glendale United Methodist Church, Reverend Dr. Eugene Golay, a great preacher, great music program, oh my gosh, they had four paid section leaders to help you out. I mean, it was a great music program, really tremendous, and uh, 1,100 members and 800 in average attendance, and tremendous children's program, and the youth program was booming. 35 years later, 33 years later, my wife and I went back down for their last worship service. They had dwindled to 25 in average attendance, four of whom were still paid section leaders. <laughs> that music was really important to them, and I wondered, we all wondered as we had that celebration of their 95 years of ministry, what happened to this church? It was so vibrant and so alive, so full, so engaged in the community. What happened to these people? I I don't think that the pastors or the lay leadership of the church saw that they were dwindling and nobody asked for help. Nobody asked for any directions. What do we do now? What are we going to do? Because we are losing our grip. We're losing our traction in our immediate community. What are we gonna do? I need to go back up here because I sound funny down there. Um, Nobody asked for any help. Or if they did, it wasn't available. It was sad. They sold the building and the congregation was gone. Could that happen to Aldersgate United Methodist Church? I can't even imagine that. It's unimaginable that that would happen. But believe me, it was unimaginable in 1970 that that church would ever close. But it did, because they weren't paying attention. They didn't seek and ask for the help that they needed. So let me tell you another story about a married couple. Uh, kind of a, they, they could be members here, I guess. Who knows? Um, but they were really uh, involved in their church, and they were... They were an engaging couple. People liked them. And they kind of tolerated the fact that he and she had a style of communicating where they they kind of argued a lot. They they didn't hesitate to debate something or disagree in public. And they would argue all the time in public. It was no big deal. People kind of got used to it. But he used to uh, tease her, kind of threaten her a little bit by saying, If I die first, I'm going to dig my way up out of that grave and I'm going to come back and haunt you. (laughs) He would say that many times. And people would hear that and and sort of laugh it off and sort of wonder. Time passed and sure enough, he died first. And uh, it was at the church after the funeral was all over and the reception had died down. Some of her friends asked her aren't you afraid that he's going to dig his way back up out of that grave, come back and haunt you? And she said, oh no, she said, I had him buried upside down and he refuses to ask for directions. (laughs) So he's probably still digging. Well, I think that's a joke about men who don't, we don't really need to ask for directions. But if churches don't ask for help, then that just dig, could be digging in the wrong direction. You could be moving in there or, or just off a little bit and another 10 years down the road or 35 years down the road, you're so far removed from what you really wanted to be as a church that it's no longer viable and it has to close the doors. Over the last 10 years, in the Pacific Northwest Conference, that's the state of Washington and northern Idaho, we've had local churches saying help. We need some direction because our church seems to be dwindling. We're losing traction where we're, we don't have the same vitality. The community around us is changing. Is that true in Bellevue? Yes, it is. Is it true in Issaquah? Yes, it is. Churches, I'm sorry, people very rarely just walk into your church because they really want to go discover God, know more about Jesus. Sometimes they do. But let me tell you, we live in a culture where people get way more excited about Seahawks games than they do about serving the God who created them. And I love the Seahawks. A guy called me yesterday. I'm going to start to cry because he had a ticket to the game today (laughs) for me. And and I had to turn it down. I said, no, I have a higher calling. (laughs) I have a higher calling. But people get distracted by many other good things. Nothing wrong with Seahawks. Nothing wrong with children's soccer leagues. They all just happen to happen and occur at the same time we have traditionally worshipped God. We've got to do something different. We've got to wake up. We've got to read the writing on the wall. In order for the church to be vital to the future, we need to do some things differently. People have been asking for help for a number of years. And this, what, what I'm representing this morning for you is not just the gospel of Jesus Christ, But this is the response of the bishop and the leadership of the conference to those churches that are asking for a little help. How do we remain viable in this culture that doesn't seem to be interested in us anymore? First of all, let me guarantee you something. God is not dead. The church is not going to die. God will, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I promise you that. Does that mean that some transitions may not be necessary? I think that they might. They might be necessary to stay vital and alive. The The Imagine No Malaria campaign that was referenced earlier and is on your bulletin um, is a campaign all by itself. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that, but I want to talk to you about another effort on the part of the bishop and the conference to address our dwindling congregations but imagine no malaria if you don't know much about imagine no malaria listen to me find out what the United Methodist Church your church is doing to eradicate malaria from the face of the earth the United Methodist Church, your church, and your friends don't even know about it. Your church is making a difference in eliminating malaria from the face of the earth. You remember a few years ago, it was called nothing but nets, $10. Give $10 and you can buy a mosquito net that'll save a child's life. Children were dying at one every 60 seconds from malaria. Mosquito nets have reduced that number way down. The United Methodist Church as a denomination committed itself to raise $75 million. And we've already raised $65 million. And we're, we're, we're not done. We've got more to go in the next few years. So when you have the opportunity to support Imagine No Malaria, please do. That's a campaign that will go on now for a few more years. We're going to eliminate malaria from the face of the earth. That is no small thing. And your church has been the lead in that effort. The Gates Foundation, the National Basketball Association, other people have gotten on board and contributed significantly to that. Other organizations have. But the United Methodist Church launched that program. Good job. Good job. Your church. And if you don't know that, you need to know more about it and make sure your friends know about it because they might just want to go to a church that does stuff like that. They might want to come here and worship God that motivates you to make that kind of change in life. That's the Imagine No Malaria. I am retired, but I'm working to represent this other little campaign called um, We See a New Church. We've got to become a new church in the future the response to all those churches asking for some help, this is it. We see a new church. And it's a small campaign. Its goal is 2 or $3 million over a few years. We're already well over a million dollars, and we need the involvement of every local church in the conference to hit our goals. I want you as individuals to consider making a contribution. Yeah, I'm not afraid to ask for it because I believe we're we're making a difference in the lives of some congregations in the future. I want you as a congregation to make a pledge or a commitment to the ministry fund campaign. Imagine No Malaria is over here. 10% of what we do in the campaign that I'm advocating, a tithe of that that we raise in this campaign will go to the Imagine No Malaria campaign. And local churches are giving to Imagine No Malaria all the time anyway. I encourage you to do that kind of giving. But the Ministry Fund campaign does three things. I'm going to tell you about them real briefly. One of them is to provide some funding for training for the development of new faith communities. Uh, Let me tell you about Parkland United Methodist Church down here by Tacoma. They're one of those churches that dwindled down to very few and average attendance. And last year they closed their doors and their property's been sold. Their property is sold to a, uh, the public school and it will be used by the school district for school district work. Uh, the congregation in partnership with the conference trustees have uh, dedicated some of that money to the ministry fund campaign because they wanted their church, even though they're closing the doors on Parkland United Methodist Church, some of their money becomes seed money to help start new faith communities. That's part of what the Ministry Fund Drive is doing, starting new faith communities. Uh, a couple of examples, Rochester United Methodist Church down here in Rochester, almost dwindled to nothing, but it's been revived thanks to this campaign. The Pasco First United Methodist Church, mostly Euro-American, not entirely. Some Hispanics had gone to the point where they were really considering closing their doors. This campaign helped provide a pastoral couple of Hispanic heritage that first service is so full. They're having to think about doing two services now at a church that would have closed its doors. That's why I believe in what it is. I'm encouraging you to participate in either as individuals to make a gift or a pledge, or as a congregation to make a gift or a pledge because there are churches that want to survive. They're asking for help. And this is our response as a, as a conference, uh, The new faith communities are great. A significant part of the campaign is what we call the Bishop Jack and Marjorie Toole Center for Leadership Development. It's a great, it's not a building, it's a a way in which we train pastors and lay leadership um, about how to speak the new language in the 21st century of people who are what you would call unchurched, they're not interested in the church. How do you engage those people? I'm telling you, the church is not going to die because people like yourselves are interested in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, whose birth we just celebrated, whose death and resurrection we soon will celebrate. We think that what we have in our faith in Christ is something that the rest of the world does not have and that it's worth sharing. You're staking your life on it. You're a child of God. You represent your father. You represent Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We've been transferred from a former life of darkness to a life of light in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. So what is the future of Aldersgate United Methodist Church? It all depends on you. Do you believe that God has called you, you, to be a part of this church so that this church can bring about transformation and change in the lives of other people or transformation in the world. That's the purpose of the church, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Don't lose sight of what God's will is for you as a church. If you do, if you tend to lose interest or think somebody else will take care of it, then you begin that drift away from what God has called you to do and be and only it's only a matter of time that this will be owned by the public schools or by the museum or the library that's not what God called you here to do God called you to make a difference in the world great history Aldersgate has a great history do you have a great future make a gift or a pledge and let me ask you as a as a As an individual, I want you to think about making a gift or a pledge to this campaign as well. You can do it. If you do so, do so through your church. You will change life. You will save a church uh, for sure. I hope you have a great future. Thank you for letting me be a part of your church family for a few hours on a Sunday morning. Uh, I love Aldersgate United Methodist Church. I know some of your pastors and have visited with them over the years. Uh, you have been blessed. And you continue to be blessed and will be blessed to be a blessing to other people. May the Lord God be with you now and every year in your fruitful future. Amen.